So before we get rolling this morning, uh, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Lord, preserve to us through the ages that we may sit here presently and have multiple books to pull from and and look at and study. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our access to it. We thank you to have it in our own language. Father, I pray that you will help me to faithfully lead us through the word this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be uh, both hearers and doers of what we uh, discover today together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so where is Thessalonia anyway? It's not Thessalonia, it's a joke. Um, Thessalonica. Um, and this, this book starts off with a greeting. So many of the epistles of Paul do start out in this way, right? So if you will turn with me in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians 1, and I do encourage you to bring your Bible along with you to church. Um, if you uh, if you would like to take notes, we've been provided some notebooks over there and pens. Um, I encourage that because if you come across a question or you think, ah, Mark, I'd like to talk to you about that after service, please do. Um, it only helps me uh, to understand what's on your minds and what we can look at together. So Thessalonians um, are thought to be two of the first letters of Paul, period. Um, his first epistles. This happened early on in his ministry. So let's read how he begins. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So the epistle begins with identifying its author. And in this case, we could even say the author had helpers, right? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So in previous talks and previous lessons, I've encouraged the congregation to think about the who, what, when, where, and why now. Just some basic kind of journalistic questions, right, of, of what's going on in the passage and what can we learn from it. So let's start with the who today. So the who, um, I'm trying to be cute with names in Greek, and I did not know I had this fly in, but hey, it's all good. Um, the who today, um, we have Paul. Paul doesn't need an introduction, right? Paul uh, is the writer of so many books in the New Testament, and we know about his conversion. We know about 
the drastic 180 that Paul had. A persecutor of the church, actively killing Christians because he saw them as blasphemers. Now, as someone who is converted directly by the Lord on the road to Damascus to serve him. And the same zeal that Paul had in persecuting the church, God uses that zeal in his 180 direction of building the church up and uses Paul's specific background and experience to build the church of God. Silvanus. Now, he's referred to as Silvanus here, or Silvanus. In other passages, we're more familiar with him being called Silas. Okay, so Silvanus, Silas, same guy. Um, you saw all of the, the stories about Silas and Paul in the book of Acts. These two people are the same. Um, Timothy. Uh, what do we know about Timothy? That's a familiar name to us, right? Paul's understudy, someone that he looks at as basically his son in the Lord, right? Um, that he's practically adopted and brought along with him to serve with him. Um, and Timothy is an important part of this picture. Then uh, as we continue with the who, we have the Thessalonians. These are uh, the people of the city of Thessalonica. Um, and we'll get into the where uh, in a moment. But these are important, important to our study of the entire New Testament is the means by which God used to spread his gospel. When Paul goes and does missionary journeys, one of the first places he starts is what type of gathering? The synagogue, absolutely. So this is exactly what he does when he goes into Thessalonica. He goes into the synagogue and preaches to the Jews. He uniquely can do that, right? He has both the ability to travel around because he's a Roman citizen and the background as a Jew uh, to be able to walk into a synagogue and not get flogged, <laughs> okay? So again, God using him specifically for this task. So Thessalonica is right in the middle of the uh, empire of Greece or used to be Greece at this point. It's now the Roman empire. <laughs> And the church at Thessalonica is made up of both Jews and converted Gentiles, converted pagans um, in the bigger part of uh, the city. The reason that I put Luke here in the who is Luke is kind of, he's not directly in this passage, but in some of what we're studying, Luke is important. He's the author of Acts. Right. And he has traveled with Paul, which is very evident because he records it in Acts. Right. So I kind of put Luke here as kind of background guy. Uh, he, he's not in the forefront here, but he certainly has an impact on what we understand um, when we talk about Paul's ministry. 
All right. So those are the who uh, of really today's passage and a lot of the book of First Thessalonians. So when and where? So Paul has several missionary journeys. And one thing that the Lord really impressed upon me as I prepped for this sermon this week is that Paul is a busy man. Paul does not sit on his laurels for a moment. Okay. Paul gets busy from the very beginning. After his conversion, he meets with the brethren. He starts sharing the gospel. So time period of this is really a decade almost since Christ um, has resurrected and Christ has left this earth physically. And now we come into the church age with Paul really blazing the trail. The gospel is spreading like a fire around the Mediterranean. And this man, Paul, is being used by God to lead several different missionary journeys to do that. So look here, the first missionary journey, he makes his way up the coast and into what's now Turkey. The second missionary journey, which I'll come back to because this is important to our passage today, spreads even further. Now he circles around the Mediterranean and comes back to Jerusalem. Third missionary journey takes a, a, another trip and does a different loop. Fourth missionary journey takes it even further, all the way through Crete, Sicily, Rome. And fifth missionary journey, again, visits some of those uh, faraway places. So this man is not one to sit and allow other people to do the work of the Lord. He is on fire. He is zealous to establish churches in the Mediterranean and to encourage them and to build them up. And so all of these letters that we read that Paul has written to these young churches are to encourage their growth in the Lord, encourage their conduct and practice, and their worship of the true God that they have turned from their idols to. So Paul um, is such a key uh, figure in, in this gospel going forth. So in his second missionary journey, and you can read about this in Acts 16 through 17, just like so many things that we've done in Bible study, there are lots of concurrent scripture, right? So Acts is a good cross-reference for us, and we'll look a bit at Acts today, too. Um, but in the book of Acts, it talks about these different missionary journeys of Paul's. Now, what's going on here is that um, first, uh, first and second Thessalonians are written in the city of Corinth. So check this out. Paul 
as he's physically with these young churches in these different cities, has a moment to sit down and write the previous churches that he visited and helped to plant. So he is about the father's business. It, it, it almost seems as though this guy is 24-7. As soon as, as soon as he wakes up and has, has a pen or quill or clay tablet in his hands, <laughs> is writing or sending a message back to these churches that he is in, in, included, um, as well as preaching to the present ones that he's in. So in the second missionary journey, he goes first through Asia Minor or Turkey and hooks up with who? He meets Timothy at Lystra and brings him along. He actually has Timothy circumcised <clears throat> so that Timothy will fit into the Jewish synagogues that he goes into, the situations. No one can question uh, Timothy's legitimacy as someone of mixed heritage, okay? So he meets Timothy to go along with him. He had previously seen him in the first trip, but now Timothy joins him. Paul leaves the council at Jerusalem Swings by Lystra, picks up Timothy, and off they go with Silas or Sylvanus. He receives a vision to go to Macedonia. And that's where Thessalonica is located. He, he then goes to Philippi, also in Macedonia, where Lydia is converted, if you recall that account. Lydia, the first convert in Europe that's recorded in the Bible. From Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. He's in the synagogue teaching where many are converted. The Thessalonian Jews stir up trouble for him there and even follow him to his next spot, Berea. Um, and from Berea, he goes to Athens, then Corinth, where he camps out for about 18 months. And so he's in Corinth writing to the Thessalonians uh, when he writes this letter. Then eventually he does make it back through Syria, Caesarea, and back to the home church of Jerusalem. And that's in Acts 16 through 17, if you want to follow Paul's journey. <clears throat> so why would he take this particular path? There is the Via uh, Ignatia, or the Roman way, through the highway that runs through it. Think about the first interstate, right? The Romans built all of these really important roles. So um, part of my role um and career has been as a logistician. This is a very interesting choice, Thessalonica, as somewhere to spread the gospel. Why? Because Thessalonica is right in the middle of the uh, Via Ignatia, uh, the Roman highway, as well as being a port city where people would enter before going into the rest of Macedonia. 
So the Lord, the master logistician is creating a, uh, a missionary hub in Thessalonica. <clears throat> so where, just to dig into this a little bit more, Thessalonica is right here, as I was saying, at that port, at that really busy place where lots of people would pass through, and it's right on this Roman highway, right in the middle of Macedonia. Even today, Thessaloniki is still in Greece, and it's, it's the second largest city in Greece, um, is Thessaloniki, and it looks like this now. So it's I've got all the modern trappings <clears throat> of highways. It's got a lot of history. So this is a city that was in Paul's time and even in ours. So 2,000 years, this place has been around, and it was one of the first missionary hubs, if you will, um, that Paul passes through. So why does Paul take it upon himself to go into Macedonia anyway? Why would he do that? If you read in Acts, the Holy Spirit leads him to different places directly. And in this case, if you turn with me to Acts 16, 6 through 10, you can kind of, you can see here how the Lord directly led Paul into Macedonia. So 16, 6 through 10, says that they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The Spirit is directly leading them. Don't go here, go here. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So why have this missionary journey? Well, Paul was already commanded to go forth and carry the gospel and baptize them, just like all the other disciples were. But specifically, going to Macedonia was prompted by a direct vision that Paul received um, in the night from the Holy Spirit. And his conclusion should be ours, that we are to spread the gospel, right? Led by the Holy Spirit um, and prompted in that direct way to share the gospel. So now that we kind of have a where and when and why all of this is happening. Let's dig into the scripture, the rest of the scripture for today. We're going to take this into a couple of chunks, verses 2 through 5, and then verses 6 through 10. So let's read further. Um, if you turn back with me to um, 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, 
we always give thanks to God for all of you, all of you Thessalonians, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly keeping in your mind, in mind, your work of faith and labor of love and perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sakes. So what does Paul start off with in his encouragement of this really just baby, baby church that just started from just a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago when he was in Thessalonica? He said, we always give thanks to God for all of you making mention of you in our prayers. Paul is truly praying without ceasing for these folks. Constantly keeping in your in mind your work of faith and labor of love and perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God. There is a sort of trifecta here. There's faith, love, and hope. And we'll see we could see that repeated in other epistles, faith, love, hope is what he wishes for the church. Specifically, that they would have faith that enlivens them via the Holy Spirit to know who God is. That they would have love for the brethren and drive for the edification of the church. And that they would have hope. They would know that the Lord is coming soon. What we're going to see in the books of First and Second Thessalonians is that there is a very present and imminent return of Christ in their minds. Paul has this urgency, and it's created by the Lord is coming back, and his gospel needs to be spread. Paul encourages them by telling them that he thanks God for them and their perseverance. And Paul mentions that it is God who has chosen the Thessalonians. Proof being that the gospel came to them not only in word, but in the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about <clears throat> his choice of you, verse four, that's important for a biblical view of salvation is to know whose choice it is that drives our salvation. Verse 4 makes it very clear. Knowing, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, his choice of you. We can further see that in cross-reference. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm just getting over being a little sick this week, so forgive me. I'm still a little froggy. Romans 8, 29 through 30, if you'd like to turn there, says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, what is the driver of salvation throughout the course of Romans 8, 29-30? uses a lot of pronouns that indicate him, right? The I am. God is who drives this process of saving us. It's an important differentiator, and why I would take a moment for that is it's an important differentiator in a biblical view of salvation, and one that I would hope that Word of Grace has tried to propagate over 10 years of ministry of trying to understand why why would all the reformers want to make it known what the sovereignty of God results in and what the process or the order um, of salvation is, <clears throat> is that it places the emphasis on God. It places the emphasis on God. Yes. If I am the one <clears throat> that totally drives this process, can I undecide? Absolutely. You know, can I undecide? Can can I say, eh, not so much anymore. I don't want to be, I don't want to be involved in that. Um, but if God does something, how do I undo it? Yeah. Right? So if he's going to hold me in the palm of his hand, I sure hope it's him that put me there. Mm -hmm. So the order of salvation starts with election. And again, this is an expansion based on verses and passages of which there are many, but Romans 8, 29 through 30 is a good example of election, <clears throat> the gospel call. Regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption. And these are all things and concepts that Jesse hopefully will get to lead us through as part of a study on Reformed doctrine soon, right? Uh, we've also hit on this ordo salutis or order of salvation, um, really practically embedded in, in everything that we do, right? Um, because we feel that it is a biblical way uh, to look at salvation. <clears throat> so um, just to kind of call that out, I I'm tried my feeble abilities of graphic design. Isn't that really impressive? Um, a process flow of this, but really, if you get nothing more from that, it's this all starts with the Father. This all starts with God in eternity past when he decided to make you his. And he is the one responsible for you even hearing the word today. He is responsible for saving me, for saving you. He's he is responsible for my regeneration, my faith, my repentance my daily walk, my sanctification, 
which we're also studying about as part of our men's Bible study, that sanctification and eventual glorification. So let's read on. First <clears throat> Thessalonians 6 through 10. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word during great affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you become you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place the news of your faith towards God has gone out, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us as the kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, how difficult would it be in human effort to roll up somewhere in a city that you're not from, go into the local synagogue, preach the gospel, and it be received in power with thanksgiving. And not only that, but the on the periphery, when you're leaving the synagogue, the Gentiles that were practicing paganism and worship of Diana, the Greek pantheon, the Roman pantheon, for them to be converted as well. So another, another proof out of God's enabling Paul is that when he shows up, he doesn't, in this case, get the door slammed right in his face. Get out of here. In fact, you don't even you need to go to prison for the things the kinds of things that you're saying um so he he accommodates them for uh being imitators of him timothy and silas um, and comments that they received the word during great affliction paul has paul is in and out of prison so many times during his missionary journeys. One of the reasons, one of the things that is a current edict of this time period is the emperors of Rome did not want any future oracles of, especially of kings or people in power. They wanted to control the narrative of the future. So when Paul comes into the synagogue and says something about this King Jesus is presently your king, oh, and he's coming back. That's right there, Paul is breaking the law. So virtually any place he goes, he could be in prison for breaking Roman law just by sharing gospel, the gospel specifically about the Lord's second coming. All right, so... <clears throat> What does Paul say to them that they have become an example to all believers in both their region and Achaia? So he's gone down one region. He's gone south one region. He was in Macedonia. 
Now he's in Achaia. Achaia is where Athens is and Corinth is. Excuse me. So um, not only were the Macedonians, not only, not only did the Thessalonians receive the gospel, but now they have affected multiple regions. And again, going back to my logistics comment, this is a hub. People come to Thessalonica, they learn stuff. They go other places. So the word of God is being spread because people come into the port. Maybe they go to the church at Thessalonica and see all of these crazy Christians who have now turned from idols and are worshiping God. Um, and then they go back and tell in joy as soon as, as soon as that gospel is spreading like wildfire. That's how you go in a time in this ancient world Think about it. No internet, no iPhones, um, no nothing. But the gospel is spreading like wildfire around the entire Mediterranean. God must have something to do with it. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, whenever Paul and Timothy go to talk to someone in Berea or go to talk to someone in Corinth, um, there's all, already this knowledge of the Macedonian churches in Philippi and Thess Thessalonica uh, that are sharing the gospel and have turned from their idols and are following the king. And he commends them for their joy in the face of trials. Familiar passage to me. I hope it is to you. Um, and why, why do I say it like that? Because we were just there, right? Joy in the face of trials. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Christ is all you need. Amen. Christ is all you need. You are complete in him. Jesus says, these things that I have spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. The Lord didn't list it as optional. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have tribulation. Perhaps not the same way that the, the Thessalonians would have tribulation because the authorities could get after them for what they were doing, for just being a Christian church. They've also imitated him. So think about it. Three weeks is not all that much of an amount of time for Paul and Timothy, even if they're spending every waking hour in Thessalonica, sharing the gospel, talking to people, teaching them, going to the synagogue. Three weeks is still not a huge amount of time for him to be able to visit them and tell them everything they need to do. So that's part of these letters as well. Paul is encouraging them and helping them to learn more about the Lord um, 
than just what he has shared with them previously. All right. So lastly, <clears throat> let's look at verses nine through 10 again. For they themselves report about us as to the kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Curious, right? I think that if we looked closely at the New Testament, we would find that the apostles and the writers of scripture speak about Jesus' second coming as imminent. It's going to happen. These things are going to happen. Um, Paul lives with that. Paul has this urgency. We've talked before about an active waiting for Christ. We're waiting on him every day. The Lord could come back this afternoon. Before we, before we even turn on our football game this, this evening, right? The Lord could come back. Um, and that's the sense that the, that the early church lived with, that Christ's return was imminent. So what do you do when you're actively expecting the Lord to return? You are busy. You're busy. You have an urgency about spreading this gospel because you know that when the Lord comes, he separates the sheep from the goats, the earth dwellers from the heavenly dwellers. Right, brother? So you live with this urgency that people need to know. And in Matthew 24, he also reflects this. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must be ready as well. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour which you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave from whom his master put in charge of his household slaves to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will be he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. Then the master of that slave will come on a day that he does not expect at an hour that he does not know, and he will cut him in two and assign him to a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So warning to us, right? We are to expect our master's coming. We are to be about our father's business. As Jesus, as young Jesus says in the temple, he's about his father's business, right? Paul is a man that is about his father's business. And that's really what I want to impress upon you as I, it was impressed upon me this week is that <clears throat> Paul is saved and gets busy edifying the church, actively encouraging the church, 
teaching, preaching, calling others to know who Christ is, and and walking daily with the character of Christ. Paul, just so just some observations about today. Now, Paul is guided by the Holy Spirit to carry out the work that God has for him. He tells him where to go and where not to go directly. Paul encourages the believers at Thessalonica via letter, even as he's in Corinth, traveling and sharing the gospel with them. So Paul is busy. The Thessalonians' life in faith and conversion was an example to the entire region. So this little Greek church that starts off in the the synagogue now becomes this missionary hub and their faith and conversion was the headline. If there were such thing as newspaper and printing press, (laughs) right? Just as our lives and conversions are an example to those around us, don't discount that. Don't discount that. There's 30 maybe people in the room right now. Don't discount the impact that we have on the community around us. And that goes in concentric circles from there, right? What I would encourage you to do um, is really encourage your brothers and sisters now as you have fellowship today with them, but also do it just like Paul did it. A letter. It it still makes me happy to receive a card. I, I get them on my birthday, you know, <laughs> but I'm still kind of like a, a kid because I used to get so excited when uh, my aunt or my cousin would send me a card in the mail, right? I think that people still do that. So, Do just like Paul, write someone a letter. If you can't put it in words and you can't see them in in person, a letter is a wonderful way of encouragement. So with all of that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for, um, for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your encouragement that we get from 1 Thessalonians. Father, that we we see that, Father, you are moving. Um, Lord, among the people to share your word, Lord, we pray We pray that we would be medical. We pray that we would be active in teaching and preaching and serving you and building up, Lord, your church. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.